Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome, everyone, to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today, I have my new bestie on the podcast, Jennifer White. Jennifer White is a psychological therapist and relationship coach based in the UK. She's the founder and creator of Strong Heart Awakening and the Strong Heart Awakening Academy, a school of high-caliber relationship standards and boundaries. And through her past experience working with people healing from substance misuse and codependency, she gained a substantial insight into how setting clear boundaries can create a transformational healing process that impacts the way others treat us and positively affect our relationship and our lives. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Tell me a bit more about your relationship with relationships. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing because that's like a meta form of relationship, isn't it? You know, relationships is everything. Relationships is with yourself, with your business, Romantic relationships, that's normally what people understand in a relationship. It's all romantic. It's not friendly relationships. It's like relationships with your coworkers and bosses. It's literally how you attach yourself to this world. How do I see this world? Who am I in this world? And I think relationships, a lot of people say relationships are complicated. I think I don't like that. Relationships are not complicated. They're complex and they should be complex because you are not that one-dimensional. We are multi-dimensional, right? So I love relationships. Is that probably the best way to have a look where your weaknesses are, where you, mm-hmm. you your strengths are, how you learn how you can learn. So we need relationships to develop. We can't just live on a mountain and I know I love the idea of living on a mountain with goats maybe and meditating all day long, but we need that interaction. So how can I improve as a human being? if I don't have interactions with people. And when did you start reflecting about this topic or saw the significance of the role of this in your life and other people, their lives? Gosh, that's a really good question. I think I was always a very observant child since really I can remember. I will, would ask a lot of questions. Why do you do this? Maybe three, four years old, honestly. Mm-hmm. I would, would sit there and ask my mom questions. Or I would wonder, you know, when my mom, when they had, family gatherings or anything like that, I would be actually that child who would sit there, be perfect, quiet, but I would observe. Mm-hmm. And I observe all these dynamics. And that can be quite scary because as a child, you always think usually these are adults, they know what to do. And then when you go and become a teenager, you know, they don't know all the answers. Yeah, you think they and know then- what they're doing. And then around 12 <laughs> yeah. years is like, at least that's what I had. Like most yeah. of these people have no idea what they're doing no, or why they're doing it. Scary, exactly. And then you think, okay, how do they actually get there? And how do I learn that? How do I find, you know, how do I find, how? because you have then this concept of, okay, you go to school, you, you learn a job. And then you get married, you find somebody, you get married, you have children and your grandchildren. And that's the concept you've been born into. And you question that on one point. Is that really what I want? If my parents are not getting on with each other, is that really what I want? Mm-hmm. Do I want that? Or do I want to be independent? Or do I, what do I want to want children? Because everything is changing, isn't it? So what, what relationship do I want? And of course, you go through all, 
your own experiences of relationships, failed relationships where you were not the best in a relationship either, right? So you grow and you get hurt and then you think, should I not have relationships or should I have lots of relationships? Should I, am I too deep in relationships? Am I too shallow in relationships? For, for a lot so of people, you, there's like a breaking point in relationships that yeah. make them reflect. Oftentimes a negative thing, like in the vast number of cases, was there some kind of instance in awareness of something negative that you said, I, I need, I want to investigate this. I want to explore like what's underneath. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my mom, she suffered from severe codependency. So she attracted men in her life. So my, my birth dad, I didn't grow up with him. He was, <laughs> he was a womanizer. He, he created lots of children, right? He created lots of children. And my mom, you know, went on, married, and he had a problem with gambling. Then she married another person. So my stepdad, she ended up with and uh, got married until he died. He was a functioning alcoholic. So I could see really, I grew up in a family where my mom really had a really toxic relationship with herself and with her partner, with, with my stepdad. And he was functioning and she was totally feeding into it until there was a massive drama in 2007. Where she, where my stepdad just dropped dad, he went through cancer treatment. He just dropped dad uh, in the bathroom. My sister found him. She called me. I lived at that time in the UK. I'm originally from Germany. And she said, Jen, you need to come over. Something is really wrong. Only to discover then that the codependency of my mom was so severe. She hit her cancer. She had breast cancer, stage four. She lost quite a lot of weight. So we had to deal with the loss of our stepdad. I'm the oldest of four children from my mom's side. Then we had to deal, uh, deal with then my mom being in hospital at the same time, finding out that she hit her cancer, that it's not curable, and we don't know how much long she has left. So that was like a shock. And you think, gosh, why haven't I detected that? So codependency is probably one of the most toxic forms you can have of an anxious attachment style. You are not setting any standards in a relationship, any boundaries, or you think you have them, but you're not defending them. And my mom thought, okay, she can't leave my, my sister still was living at home. She can't leave her on her own with a functioning alcoholic. So she just ignored it. And that was a big, massive eye-opener. Changed everything. Could you maybe explain a bit for my audience what codependency is? Because some people could maybe have the impression like, yeah, but I'm taking care of him. I see the best in him. I see the potential. I'm nurturing him. So there's this uh, approach of what they're doing that they're actually helping and taking care of a person. Of course. It's, of course, interesting because a lot of people would say, and my occupation as a psychological therapist, some people say that doesn't exist. It does exist. Definitely exists. First things first, this is not even a discussion then for me if people say it doesn't exist. Codependency, in, in Germany, we would actually de- describe it as a helper syndrome. So we attach ourselves. We think love is actually if I really disempower my partner to find a solution for their own problems. You will find that a lot of people think codependency is only when you are together with an alcoholic, a drug addict, or something like that. It's not the case. You will find it also if somebody has mental health issues or other issues, somebody who just doesn't want to take responsibility for their own life, doesn't want to grow. And now you think, I have the solution for them. 
I will mother them. I take on a parental role and make them now a child and call that love. So that is very toxic. So now I identify myself, my self-worth to helping somebody else and, and very likely will attract lots of partners with difficulties because I think I show love in a way that I solve their issues and that's not love. I need to encourage my partner to actually take responsibility and sort themselves out. So this is what my mom did. She was like, that was her life. She was great and structuring around an alcoholic. Great. But she would not set boundaries and say, look, this is not working. Fine. Okay. I have four children now, but that's not working. Yeah, if you're not sorting yourself out. It, it basically you. partly also enabling them because I know you're huge yeah. on like boundaries. So you, you set your own boundaries apart and you don't set boundaries yeah. for the other person. Like, you know, okay, there's, there's patience that's needed and understanding mm. and care when somebody's mm. going through a hard period. Mm. But when the person subconsciously or unconsciously knows like this person will be there for me despite what happens and you don't set boundaries of the certain behavior you expect, that's just a promise for repetition. Then you're just enabling them like you can be who you are. While they say like, no, I see I see the potential in him and, and he will get over it soon, you know. And I see this pattern sometimes with people with uh, people with addictions for years, for decades, mm. clinging to that hope of, you know, mm. he will change one day, but subconscious or unconscious, maybe because of these patterns, they reinforce that pattern and kind of like are energetically, emotionally attracted and attached to that pattern, that symbiosis with the other person. It's so toxic, isn't it? So it's so toxic. Like you said, we are, we are disempowering them and we call it love. That's what we think. And you said the right thing, potential. People stay in relationship for potential. Mm-hmm. Potential is a fantasy image in our head. Potential can be, can be a glimpse of, oh, there's behavior I really like to see in a relationship. But potential could be completely a fantasy image I put on top of you and think, hey, yeah, you are this person. You're not this person or you don't even want to be this person. So it's like we live out our, we are in a fantasy world instead of saying, can I actually love somebody the way they are and to hold the space and say, I contribute to their growth and not contribute to their toxic behavior. Did you notice any pattern that your mom had and that you noticed some seeds of that in your own relationships that were like acting out or were you rebel and did the exact opposite, you know, of never taking care because sometimes you can go to both extremes, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So of course I was a rebel in the way that I left. I said to my mom, I can't witness this anymore. I have to step back because it got so bad when I was, you know, before I became a psychological therapist, I, I thought, become a banker, right? And in Germany, your goal for three years to banking college became the one of the youngest um, apprentices there and everything like that. So I've done that. That was really bad because I wanted to help my family financially because we were struggling. My stepdad was at that time, my stepdad was really not earning very well, lost his jobs and things like that. So now I'm the oldest sister. Yeah, they have you a know, name for that, especially when you're the oldest one. You 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 became the parentified child. You yeah, the that's parent that how has to I be felt. The responsible one. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, how I was treated. My mom made sure I had that role. Yeah, so my my youngest siblings were treating me like that. Jenny, I'm your sister. I'm your sister. I had to really work on that because I was in that role. So when you are 16 or something, what do you do? So I couldn't leave just home. 
So I was obviously earning as an apprentice, you don't earn much. So I was contributing to that. And then I left as soon as I was 18. I was like, I'm out. I can't, I, this is too much. So I left. That's quite early. So I left. However, of course, you have these patterns. I, I attracted partners in my life where I then became the big sister or the mom. And then I thought, this is wrong. This is so wrong. And of course, you sit down. I had, had one failed marriage behind me, a failed marriage behind me. Because of that, got married very early and then thought, no, 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 what do you do? You compromise yourself and had the guts to get out of it and said, not with me. This is not true to myself. So I had that too. So it's really, <laughs> of course, you pick that up because that's your survival instinct. You think, okay, this is what my parents teach me how to survive in this world. I don't know any different. Now I have to question it. And thank God, honestly, that I'm questioning. I'm a critical thinker. Thank God. So I'm not like a person who's saying, oh, okay, let's go with this. This is how the world is. Majority of people, Phil, you might know that too, but say, okay, I go like with, the average, what everybody else is doing, but running with a pack sometimes is not good. It's not good. Yeah, I've done that too. It took me a while. It took me probably till my end 20s, early 30s to really say, okay, now I know where I want to go. And that's very interesting. Well, that's not a long time ago. So it's like really, it's, it's really interesting. So you develop that. Yeah, that's also the self-concept. Boundaries has to do with the self-concept. I mean, a self-concept you set by boundaries, you know, which doesn't limit what you can do, but makes you like function in the world without chaos. When you, when you can do anything, it's like chaos. And when you mm. have that self-concept of yourself, then you can set these boundaries, but you can only, only set boundaries when, when you know who you are, what you value, what you want. And most people don't ask that question. Also in relationships, I think, they, they have an idea of what kind of partner they want, but they don't ask the second question, which kind of person do I have to be to attract that partner? So if you're going to be a person who's like, you know, no skills, no, 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 no depth, et cetera, but you want to be with that great yoga teacher or, or et cetera, who's like super aware and fit and intellectual, like you want to ask yourself, would a person mm -hmm. like that be with a person <laughs> who lives yeah. like me, you know? And then it's again exactly. what you say, just a fantasy and just like a, a false dream. It's also, I think we want to be something, sometimes we want to be with people because we fear they might, might drop off on us or as a status symbol. Have a look. So how many people, are, I work with women. Some women come to me and said, Jen, I want to have really the successful businessman or business part. Like this person who, who runs businesses is very confident, is, is very independent, um, makes lots of money. And I said, okay. Why do you want to be with this person? Because it's cool? Because you don't then have any money worries? Do you have mm -hmm. financial problems? If you have financial problems, do you want to enter in a relationship with somebody who doesn't have financial problems? And if they would enter that with you, that relationship with you, are you truly there for them or because they can give you financial stability? And then are you compromising yourself? Right? Then you might compromise yourself because that person holds that. So we form then attachments that are totally unhealthy and untrue. So we absolutely, like you said, who are we? And we work constantly in ourselves. Do we have some depth? Are you reading books? <laughs> for me, that's important. It's a person when I date, for example, and meet people. Are they reading books? Are they watching mainstream media and they take everything for what, what they 
you know, yeah, so, you have so certain non-negotiables media. in a relationship that you think like this yeah. is essential for me doesn't mean that that that's for everyone the case. But I also know some things that makes me like function in a relationship. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I also see with boundaries is expectations are related to like boundaries. And especially for women, I think that's my vision, you know, these days. And the image that is being portrayed to women by mainstream society is completely delusional. It's completely okay. delusional to be able to be a full-time businesswoman, a fantastic mom, and mm. then be totally independent and then be free. Like juggling all those different archetypes and types in one life, it's completely disillusional, delusional. And I think it sets you up for that stressy period where the mm. ovaries start shaking in most women between 30 to 35. And you know, like, oh, quick now, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I want to find a guy and I have to have a family, etc. And then I see an explosion of burned out moms, single moms, relationships not working because there's just so much pressure on women, especially in their 30s, to juggle all these sometimes mm. conflicting roles and mm. with the expectation that it's totally possible. Totally. Totally agree. I mean, a good friend of mine I studied with, she is actually running these postnatal depression groups. And she said the same thing. They want to be 1950s housewife, but 21st century woman. So she deals with women then all of a sudden who, you know, sit there and say, I want to be a good housewife. I want to look like fit back into the clothes like tomorrow, like the next day after I give birth. I want to cook organic food. I want to uh, make sure the house is clean and I have a high flying career. No problem. I work from home. And if the baby cries, no problem. I deal with it's impossible and they burn out. They try to come then to her and say, how can I juggle that? You can't. You need to drop some boards. You need to drop some expectations. Expectations for a relationship are good if they are realistic. So I'm not against expectations. Expectations can form standards, but we have to question ourselves if they are realistic. Because I think a lot of us, we watch on social media or we watch... <laughs> Yeah, we watch these people being successful and it's actually, we only see a glimpse. Well, I think a lot of women, especially the, the women who are more awake or more aware, they start to increasingly realize that they've been t- told a lie. Mm. That that would make them happen. It started with Jennifer Lopez, like, I don't need a man to make me happy and etc. And all that oh, stuff, gosh. like, I'm independent, I don't need a partner, etc. Now, yeah, there can be a spectrum of masculinity and femininity, but I see an increased mm. masculization of women feminization of men there's never been so much mm. dissatisfaction in relationships so much stress burnout yeah. so i think some women who are aware when they ask and mm. are in touch with their femininity with their desire with their mother womb mm. etc ask themselves like is the story that i'm following really when i follow my intuition the story that i want to follow and if so that's fine i'm never going to take away people the freedom of choice but there's a very one-sided story about what women should do now and it makes a lot of women dissatisfied and a lot of relationships also dissatisfied because the whole synergy between men and women is not there anymore. And you become best friends, you know, or intellectual bodies, but like just the whole male-female dance is not there anymore. It's sad. And I totally agree. I probably get slated for that when people say that. But it's sad. Yeah, because I'm a woman. How can you say that, Jenny? You, you have a business. Yeah, I'm aware of that. So that's maybe a masculine part. I need to be in some mm-hmm. form way a leader, but I have to keep my femininity. Yeah, so I reduce, for example, the pool of dating people. I will reduce because now I have to deal, I have to look for men who are maybe further in their career or understand that. So mm-hmm. we, we can be like equal in a way that we are looking eye to eye, but we still hold our feminine part and our masculine part. I totally agree. 
So for example, when, when I would say men should lead, people would say, what the, what are you go talking about? But then I'm saying we misunderstand leading. What's a leader? You under, you think leading when a man leads and I'm a former ballroom and Latin American dancer. Mm-hmm. I'm used to that. I'm used. I let the man lead. If he's not leading, yeah. it looks awkward. It looks like off. Yeah, he's he's is, not dominating you and forcing you to take no. that role. He gives you, you have trust in him providing and making the decisions. It doesn't mean that you can have a say, but you feel free to explore and he provides the space for it. And you have trust that he can make good decisions without him you're like subjugating you or making it a power mm. game. It just helps you to express freely your expressive feminine side with having the trust that he can, yes. you know, handle the waves and provide the space, provide the container for you to express yourself fully. Absolutely. It's it's like leading is a leader. If we have just a look at a leader, a leader will make sure that they know you. They know your weaknesses and strengths, but they will not use that against you. Mm-hmm. They will use it for you. They want that you actually shine in your greatest potential. Plus, they like like I said, they will know you. They want to know you, have your well-being in mind. They are not using you. And they lead by example. So they would not some, ask something of you if they can't do it also by themselves. So now we are talking. What a lot of people think they are bosses. Men are not bosses in that way that nobody should boss you around and try to control you and say, you do as you've been told, as I tell you. And if you don't do this, you're not a woman, you should listen to a man. That's the toxic understanding. That's like not leading. So we need to understand what leading actually means. So then if I want to have a masculine man, and a lot of women want masculine men, they come to me and they say, Jenny, I want somebody who has their stuff together. I want somebody who knows what they want. They are confident, but they're gentle in a way they take care of me. They, they, Energetically, they what most women want, and I, it's, I'm always about freedom of speech, so I don't. I, it's not controversial when people look at mm. the relationships that are working. They want a guy who can provide for them. Doesn't mean like in the 30s, 40s, like hey, I'm the only guy who provides for the family. Even though I think it would be a great business mm. model if a guy could work and provide completely, and the woman could still work at home and do whatever she wants to, but doesn't feel obliged. I think you know now you need to work with two people to be able to to pay the mm. bills. But to have a guy who's on his mission, on his purpose, who's mm. energized, you know, who's mm. not that women don't do this, but just in a different way, providing that space and he mm. gains your respect by him providing, you know, and fully in his mission, not just on the couch at TV, eating chips and playing video games, because that's just a man child that happens a lot, especially also when men are castrated. That's energizing when a guy is in his mission and his purpose providing, you know, and then the guy will give love to the supportive woman a sidekick or whatever that support us in a mission, like a two, two, two men or two women team. But the man will also get respect. And that's something that we really like, but I want to provide for you, you know? Mm. And that's something I- that energizes us. And it's like, oh, honey, you're, you're so supportive. You support me on my mission. And we love you for who you are, you know? And we give you everything you need. Like that's just biologically, energetically, archetypically, more the symbiosis between the two types, where it's not about one being better than the other but just a good click without just being two copies in a relationship and then there's no attraction. No, there's absolutely not. You know what women do Women do these days? I mean, you you probably have that experience from the other side. So what women do is they chase. They chase. They initiate. They don't... Yeah. Feminine energies always let them come to you. We are observant. 
We are complaining that we have, oh, they, they are playboys or womanizers or anything like that, or they, are, they don't want to have a committed relationship, anything like that, right? Yeah, because have a look. Are you chasing? Are you initiating text messages? Are you sorting out and say, hey, when do you invite me out? Or we should go out to this and this restaurant or this and this event. And then now you're taking over. So you are actually not helping. You make it easy for men who don't want to grow. So you tell them, I take over. Oh, that's easy. So I don't have to do anything. That's great. But that doesn't form attraction. That's not confidence. I, I think it's wrong confidence from women who say, okay, I, I initiate that. I tell them I want, I pay the bill in a restaurant. I open the door for you. I saw, sort maybe, um, the taxi out to get you to this location or anything like that. And we think it's, it's old school. We're complaining about 21st century relationships. That These are 21st century relationships where we complain that we feel there's no man out there who can provide, who can take care. So we want to have these classic relationships, but we don't want to do the classic behavior mindset. I don't know enough about the female dating experience like online, etc. And I know some people met like people online. I think in general, it's been detrimental to relationships because... When you take a look at, in general, how what, what men find attractive, of course, the personality, but it's more like your looks. What women find more attractive is like the status, you know, the man and his mission, etc. So in my experience, and this will resonate with a lot of men in their 20s listening to this, you just get cast aside if you're in your 20s. You have all these hot, good-looking 20-year-old women with great pictures on Instagram, and they thrive on attention. And they got so much mm. attention from guys. Oftentimes, you know, the assholes, the confident guys, they're unaffected, you know, and they're like attractive to them. So they waste their most fertile, most attractive years dating douchebags and complete assholes. And a lot of guys who are in their 20s, they get disillusioned with the relationship, they go to porn, they game, etc. You know, mm. but the real good ones who work on themselves, like me in my 30s, I'm still single. If you if you build up your relationship and skills, you only become more attractive. A guy on his purpose with his mission, who's been working on himself in his 30s, he is super attractive, but I see a lot of women, they wasted their most attractive years in their 20s, beginning of their 30s, and they still expect that guy to still find them as attractive as when they were 22, and they didn't invest anything in themselves. So it's an uphill battle for women. Yes, you win the battle until 32, 34, but the guy on his purpose, he will have a whole ring of 25-year-olds if you want to shag or just have something superficial lined up. Why the hell would he be with you who didn't invest mm. in herself, 32, et cetera, you know? Mm. So for guys, you know, it, it's kind of like polarizing with the sexes because they both get disillusioned. Mm. I mean, they're 32 is like, guys just treat me as a sex object and you only go for young chicks. And then the young guys with these women, like, oh, they only want assholes and older, older dudes. So that's just real talk, especially in the online dating landscape. Yeah, online dating is, is the, I never knew that. <laughs> I that don't. I don't, I'm not, it's like you go through body parts. That's what you literally do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nice picture, nice body part. Yeah. Just a chin. Great. And then you do this backwards and forwards and high caliber relationships. And I always say that with my people who seek me. I'm not for you. If you say to me, I want that particular guy. Mm -hmm. How can I get this guy? I said, no, we are working on relationships. What relationship do you want? What do you bring to the table? If you tell me I want this certain guy, I'm not your girl. They're not even going there. I'm not even going there. I want you to understand that there are standards and you have to reflect them. And yes, totally agree. Probably it's because 
people do mainly what they think everybody else is doing. I mean, I'm just telling my relation, now my uh, picture, right? I'm, I'm curious about your perspective or clients yeah. that you have because you feel more than free to just correct me. But that is a bit my perception in general that I see in the yeah. online dating landscape. What's interesting, so my perception on this one is that, of course, girls, you know, in our 20s, our brain develops until we are 21, 20, 25. So to, mm-hmm. let's, let's go for 25. So what's attraction? So we are maybe not even critical thinking now because we haven't maybe gone through tons of deep relationships that really hurt us. So now we are thinking relationships is like going out, having lots of fun. So what I see in that, in that age group at the moment, people, they send very explicit pictures of themselves mm-hmm. and then they hook. That's a dark form of femininity mm-hmm. too. So now I'm like, have all on display. I'm coming now at you with my, my physical attraction or my, my physical attributes. Mm-hmm. And now that's all what I get. And then I'm like, why do I get this? Why I, do I get only people one night stands or people short term relationships? Because that's what I display. That's what I think, you know, dating apps need to improve. Yeah. And also massively. let me see like, you know, I want people to date me for my character, but I'm showing these pictures. It's like I'm wearing a policeman or policewoman suit. And I was like, oh, you're a policeman. No, no, no. I'm just wearing this suit. Like, yeah, you can want people to like you because of your personality and values. But it is mostly not like nowadays apps are still mostly visual and visual makes a certain impression. And you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So the problem is. So I have a big mentor. He's really, really big. He's also worked with a team of Darren, Darren Brown, who's an illusionist, Mm. really famous over here. So it's really interesting. And you have actually, and that's unfortunate for that on studies. You have, you know, if you're attracted to somebody within 90 seconds to four minutes, max four minutes. So that means our physical appearance matters. And then, of course, how we portray ourselves. Are you bubbly or you, are you turning up to date with bitch face? Are you mm-hmm. turning up there as a bitch face, arrogant and like, mm-hmm. but beautiful, right? So yeah, what yeah. is that? So you have four minutes, four minutes, and that's all you got. So now think about all these dating stuff, all these pictures. You get also cat, catfishes over there. So people who are like pretending to be some part, it's gone bananas. So. We, we create now an urgency in creating relationships. So we are just going, grabbing anybody. It's like Black Friday on the dating market. You grab what you can because it's a bargain. Yeah, and it's also a- unlimited options, right? I see more yes. and more people being treated as customizable apps and interchangeable. Mm. In the past, you had maybe your, your partner in your local community and they didn't meet their ex anymore. You didn't mm. have an abundant supply. Now on WhatsApp, Tinder, etc., the exes mm. keep on lurking, <laughs> looking for a weak point or can send you messages, you know, where you can compare with other options that are out there, like limitless, just one scroll from your thumb away. Yeah. And, and when and I look you- at the numbers of the, 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 the relationships people have, I look at numbers of loneliness that it's, it's the biggest epidemic right now that people never been so connected online and never so disconnected from themselves and other people. So what is it? Absolutely. We have too much choice. Na- naturally, we want to go with the best choice with somebody. We have some, uh, sometimes expectations like, like Esther Perel is talking about that. Mm-hmm. And I love her work. So she's talking about, we want that our partner is sex god, spiritual teacher, parent, best friend, 
and also, I don't know, everything. And that's impossible. You need also your friends. This is where we can't suffocate our partner too. You need to give your partner space. So also allow them to have friends, right? You, you can't just say, no, I'm the only friend my partner has and this is all I need. This is like, definitely you kill all desire and you definitely will on one point kill love. You are just, just then existing next to each other. You know, so what I wonder about is the whole thing about, you know, you can't, you can't keep the flame alive, but that fire and that passion in the beginning, you can't keep up. So when you look mm. at the biggest reason why people divorce, it's not that they're, you know, unhappy. It's just that they're not happy enough. But because, you know, when the flame dies after a year, two years, two years, then you can go on a mm. dating app and, oh, there's a new single woman. I can start again with something for mm. one year, two years, three years. So mm. even for me, like the long-term perspective of a relationship, working on that and realizing it's a work in progress, but the intensity of it, like especially with intimacy and sex and the passion, will probably tone down, you know, after the beginning time. But people, you know, set these expectations and then they have another little flame, a tinder, a spark, like, yeah, let's just get the fire there and then just quit from the relationships when the new chapter starts in relationships. That's also interesting, but maybe less exciting you know yeah. fancy and the novelty <laughs> etc that a lot of dopamine and people rushes crushes are attached to this is so interesting you know that you mentioned that because i was talking with uh, with a friend of mine the other day so we were pondering about that is it even possible to have long-term relationships and be really in love and passionate and mm-hmm. have that all going because that means work yeah that means like what, what happens often phil is people we meet we got the butterflies. We're 24-7 together. We have a great experience. And then we know everything about ourselves, about this person. And now what? And sometimes people, you know, maybe you're a person who likes working out. And all of a sudden, you make, make your new love interest or partner center of your whole universe, of your whole life. And you give up then working out, you you neglect your friends, you are not like maybe you, you do some self-development courses. So all of a sudden you feel you need to do everything together. And that's not great either. So it's like you need to create space. And that might be difficult because we have, then we talk really scientific, isn't it? We have then these, these hormones going through our body. These are strong bonding hormones. We are addicted to them. They give us butterflies. Mm-hmm. And then we become addicted to it. And as we bond them with other people. Maybe we attach these bonding hormones or these butterflies to like, oh, find somebody new because they don't know our flaws or our not so glorious days. And now I can look a little bit better. So I'm more confident now. So then it's the question, if I become should how vulnerable should I be in a relationship? How much, you know, how much do I share with my partner? How much is too much? Do I take really responsibility for my own growth? Because then we can discuss some people say, for example, men should not be vulnerable. I think men show vulnerability different. I'm not very convinced. If you look, for example, at Keanu Reeves, he's the man, isn't it? He's very attractive, but very vulnerable and humble too. So if you look at him, he's vulnerable. He will tell you he's gone through stuff nobody wants to go through. But he, he's humble. He grows out of, he grows with it. And he's a very warm character. But he's still a man. 
I think personally, when it comes to men and women, that and that's just a reflection that I have right now, that uh, for women in the moment, almost each emotion can be important. That is why we filter as men when you ask, like, what are you feeling? We filter it first through, is it really important to pay attention to? Mm. And when a guy is vulnerable or authentic, oftentimes it's a principle, something that's super valuable, like consistency, consistently pretty valuable. And when that emotion or what they want to speak out and it's a principle that they value, I think then you should be vulnerable and speak it mm. out. But it's not that any emotion at any time is important for men. They kind of filter like, will I shed light on it? Mm. Or is it not important enough? That's why some women ask like, what are you thinking about? What are you feeling? And some men say nothing. Well, that nothing means like what I'm thinking about really is temporary and not so important to pay attention to. Yeah. And that's great. And that's a great, you know, and sometimes I think women for sometimes men, to say, but you need to feel more. And why are you not mm -hmm. exploring your feelings and share them with me? Because we are more like we digest information in the best way and just sharing that moment. That's how we digest information. So women are often, you know, that's where we sometimes maybe clash men and women when, when we just talk about our day and we, we bring things up or emotions up. Sometimes the man understands, okay, how do I have to fix that now? Yeah. Solution. I give you a solution and I don't want a solution. So I need to actually say, look, I'm just like letting go. I don't need a solution. It's just like, I'm good, but I wanted to share my emotions. It's, it's, it's we, we are more verbal about that. You internalize emotions. The, the problem I had about this is you have a great book. You just don't understand by the Bora and where she talks about male and female communication. And it seems mm -hmm. nowadays that all the work that has to be put in relationship is on the men, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't have to be solution oriented, etc. Well, I learned about communication that learning to understand the worldview of the other person is often better than trying to force it to be changed. So it's always an end, end for me. If you could see that the man actually is trying to help you, but he's hmm. looking for a solution, you could also understand him better instead of like blaming. I see a lot of blaming on men. I mean, we take responsibility. That's a good thing. Hmm. But with all the stuff about toxic masculinity and men are douchebags, et cetera, and men are bad. I see all these articles in The Guardian, et cetera, constant hmm. men bashing, not a zero second like a female bashing. Now, I saw a good post of my friend Kyrie Oliver. He did the first episode on his podcast. He said, hmm. The problem is not toxic masculinity. 43% of women in the world or in America are raised by a single mom. 73% mm. of the teachers are mm. women. So all these men and boys and women are just exposed mm -hmm. only to women, only have mm. a relationship with women. Mm. So the problem is not toxic masculinity. The role is enough like masculinity integrated with the femininity so you have a balanced perspective in life. I agree. I mean, my mom was a single mom when she had me. And she had to pick up them both. You think about that. So she picks up both. Yeah. So she has to be feminine and masculine. So what do I learn? What does, does Jenny learn? Jenny learns you have to be both. Mm -hmm. So of course, then a father figure would be great to have a great leader. So she didn't attract leaders. She attracted people or men who were also castrated in their masculinity. Mm -hmm. They were literally castrated in their masculinity. She was mothering him them and that's what i learned so i had to unlearn that and femininity is not only lots of women say but femininity we can take charge it's like feminist in the sense we we, we understand that now i'm not a feminist then mm -hmm. i'm not and people would say why can't you be why don't we need to and we need to you know we go from one end of the scale of control all the women to the other end of the scale it's like bashing now the man 
it's not it's, it's like totally crazy hopefully that will just slowly i hope so because i have dates and then these women are just uh, preaching their anti-male femininity and i'm like why are you sitting on a date with me i'm a man you're insulting me with all this blaming and shaming <laughs> and i don't want to be with a woman who has this worldview about men and is looking for any kind of grievance that they can blame on men yes there are issues with men but to have mm. an only compass to be this way I mean, mm. subconsciously or unconsciously, if this is your view of men, and then how are you going to show up in a relationship? Is this the kind of woman that I want to be in, be with in the relationship? And this yeah. happens increasingly a lot, especially men who don't buy into the identity politics and things on the left are more like, let's say, a classic British liberal, like it used to be, the clashing mm. British liberal, but a bit of conservatism, which means conserving certain values. Mm. Oh, mm. no, I have to give in to all the liberal things and political correctness, etc. And that's mm. a lot of women that are like gated to and minorities of like, you're a victim, etc. And it's all, you know, the fault of X. But it really leaves them unsatisfied in relationships or when they have a relationships, Chip, what I see is castrated men, puppies. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you have a look at dating. I know a lot of people, <laughs> I know a lot of women who go and then they think, oh, I want to look independent. And then they tell them the man on the first date that they don't need a man. And then they, they like that man. And then they come to me and say, Jenny, he's not calling. Should I then call? And what did you do? You said to him, you don't want to need a man. Yeah. That's what you got. You don't need a man. You don't get a second date. What, why? What does that even mean? So where have you been hurt? Where have you not understood maybe a painful relationship and learned out of it and become bitter now instead of better and understanding it and moving forward? So we are actually also confusing men. We're brainwashed by the educational yeah. systems to show that women don't need a man at all. You see this in the new Star Wars movie. You see it in all the mainstream movies. It's basically women who don't need men anymore. While yeah. women can be strong, right? They can be spies. They're a bit more passive aggressive with manipulation, you know, mm. or, or intrigue, etc. But they're mm. actually like making all the male archetypes. They're all like transgenders right now or, you know, mm. like in uh, the new uh, Terminator, the new James Bond is a black woman. Not that a black a woman can be a spy, but they're like mm. changing all the male archetypes that used to stand for these strong, masculine, a bit more stoic types. And they're saying, mm. oh, women can do the same thing. So when I'm looking at the scene right now, I'm looking at where are the male role models? They don't have to be so mm. stoic as, you know, like 60s, 70s, but still those mm. men I look up to. Mm. Where are these women who are, they don't have to be the gray skellies or whatever, but these, these sensual, strong women, you know, caring and also good mother figures. I know none. I see wet ass mm. pussy from Cardi B being like single of the year. Or you see these women who like, they, they break up, show their ass, etc., not give a crap on how they look. I'm really wondering like, where are the male and female role models right now that you want your children to look up to as a good person and a good, good mom? and. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's it's just, we have to understand, we don't become a woman or feminine on charge of our life and castrating somebody else. We don't. Why, why would we do this? So we are not know better than maybe what we understood, what history had before when they tried to control the woman. Mm-hmm. We are no yeah. better than. We are, we are doing now the opposite because now it's payback time. I don't know. So it's actually, when do we grow up in relationships? When do we become actually really developed and being an adult in a relationship and not behaving like teenagers or children? 
Well, this is something I think that people don't realize besides inheriting patterns from the past, from your family, you will see like kind of haunted ghosts from the past and patterns played out in the haunted house of your mind, et cetera, and your relationships. Mm. So that can be a good point. But we don't learn relationships. We don't learn communication. We don't learn all other things about anxiety, depression, fulfillment, meaning, et cetera, skills. So I think, yeah, education in itself is more and more mm. with everything that I learned this, week, this year, complete like brainwashing or a, or a one-sided story. But what do you then see as relationships in your family and what you see on TV? And when you're going to really notice that the pattern on TV, especially the mainstream TV series, et cetera, the last 15 years, mm. mostly the guy, the dad is a fat idiot, is a fat idiot. Simpsons is a fat idiot. Family mm. guy is a fat idiot. Two mm. guys, et cetera, you know, two idiots. They're all idiots. And who's the reasonable one? Oh, the woman. That's the reasonable one. I'm still taking care. And, you know, the dad is just a useless, disposable idiot. And when you look at these archetypes of this useful, disposable idiot, you will see this returning a lot that it's constantly being reminded in, and especially series that, you know, the, the man, the father is pretty disposable. Yeah, it's sad. And we need father figures. I'm, I yearn for a proper father figure. Yeah. So I had to, to really be careful with this. So you have to understand that fathers are very important for girls too, not only for, for boys too, for mm. girls too, because that a father figure will create, I truly believe that, something you can lean on and can, can maybe compare, not necessarily that you choose definitely, like, like Freud believed, isn't it, that you choose definitely somebody who's mm. you, like your dad, but you have at least a role model. So you, how's your dad treating your mom? How's your mom treating your dad? How is that working? How do you make things work? How do you show love? What's love? Is it only sex? Is that it? Having children, sex, providing them, dying? What is it? I think we are developing more and more. And I think even though everything is a little bit more toxic now on the other side, we, we will hopefully on one point find the, the middle, however long that ever takes. But I'm, I'm like, you know, I had, for example, I had a great colleague of mine. She went on a date over a weekend. And then she came back before I went self-employed. She came back and she said, how was your date? And she said, horrible. And I thought, oh my gosh, what happened? Because, you know, you hear about all these dates who, who are really weird where they're in, in a window and, and things like that. No, that guy dared to pick her up, to bring flowers, to choose a nice restaurant and to pay for the meal. Mm -hmm. And she said, who's doing that? Who's doing that? Because she didn't know. She could not handle that somebody took charge and showed interest and respect. Because often I think what often happens to this, then women think, okay, that means now I have to end up in a committed relationship with this guy. And I'm, I'm not sure. Or yeah, I have yeah. to end up home with this guy. I'm not sure. But that's not how guy, all the guys work. It doesn't mean because he paid for dinner and he brings you flowers and opens the door and, and, and cares about you that you now have to go home with him. Where is that coming from? Right? I think most people don't realize how much of the way how you look the world is just a prescribed story that we've been told. And you can buy that story. That's fine. Keep on buying the story. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we should question the fundamental stories that we live in our lives and find out what the origin is. And then really ask ourselves, is this still a short story, a chapter I want to continue? Or do mm. I want to re rewrite it? Because I'm all for free will. Make your own choice. But you will be amazed how much views you have about yourself, your goals, what you need, a relationship, a partner, masculinity. How much is just being indoctrinated by one 
sided story and you think it's your view no it's just a prescribed view yeah and sometimes Positive, it's like yeah. a prescription like a medication like treating the symptoms you know it's being prescribed to you and sometimes then you want to go to that detox the detox from those medications those prescriptions and then maybe you can tackle the origin instead of working on the symptoms and choose mm -hmm. which story you want to have your life but that is uncomfortable right like stepping outside of your chapter rewriting your story it's like brand mm. new it's hard to be the author of your life because mm. you take the pen but mm. i would you know suggest everybody to at least take that pen because there's nothing more empowering than being the author of your life and that doesn't come with shiny things and roses all the time but that comes with owning your life your story and really writing it down and having your memoirs there and then you have memoirs and not memories yeah i love that I love that. And it's also, who do you want to be in a relationship? You're actually saying in a relationship because this person allows you to be the best version or even better version, allows you to grow. So lots of people don't even understand that. You create memories, but who are you? Are you happy with a version of you in this relationship? Or do you feel now suffocated or you, you cannot be the best, uh, best self of yourself because maybe you intimidate your partner because now you're shiny? And attractive and brilliant and people love you are we now jealous of of our partner and not trusting them and also how much do you trust yourself if this relationship becomes toxic that you will walk away and not stay because how many people stay in toxic relationships though and and they normalize them because guess what our survival instinct normalizes toxic situation to survive to make sure your body survives mm -hmm. Yeah, I see this sometimes with friends, but it's so much easier to see it on the outside and like a relationship is not working anymore and they stay stuck in it and it's they're attached to that old way how their relationship was or that story that they tell themselves. But it's painful to see people maybe who loved each other, had like a great chapter, but it's mm. not working anymore. And that takes a year, two years, three years that it's not working anymore. Again, mm. hard to make definite decisions, set boundaries, and then, you know, out of care also for the other person to then maybe part years, but this this attachment also there stays super mm. long, even mm. though when it's clearly not working anymore. I mean, some people quit too fast and they don't work on it, which is a whole other thing. But I see that a lot. Like, yeah, it's not working anymore. And you see this a lot when they talk about the partner and 80% is like <laughs> negative. It's like, do I really have to tell you what my view oh, of the gosh. relationship is? Every time I come to you, this is what you tell. This is the stories I hear. So when this is eight out of 10, I don't know. There's something about this that your gut feeling tells like you, you, you're veering more towards the negative side than the positive. That's a, you mentioned actually a good point. So of course, giving up instantly. So we have people, I met people who give up straight away. If it's not happy, if they're no better, butterflies, they're out. So of course, we only grow with friction. We only stay because there's a little bit of friction. Yeah. Jordan Peterson was talking about that too. He was, um, there, there were studies out there. If, if, for example, if everything is, if there's more negative than positive or too much negative than positive, you are, you're not feeling happy. If it's too positive and not enough friction, you don't like it either. That will not end up in a happy relationship because it becomes boring. So now we are talking about balancing it. There needs to be friction. There need to be little niggles and arguments where we think, oh gosh, yeah, you wouldn't want to be with somebody who is just like, you can walk all over that person. 
That's not attractive, not easy. Well, for someone, and I, I, don't, I don't maybe have codependency, but I have more measurement patterns. For someone who has that, they can see a conflict as something is wrong with me, and then they want to pacify it because they can't get along with that uncomfortable feeling that something is wrong with the partner or the relationship, and then they totally ruminate and can't sit with that and want to fix that as soon as possible. Uh, yeah, and that's then an anxious attachment style. So I, everything that's wrong, is my fault. Avoidant is avoidant attachment style is like I highlight everything goes maybe great and I'm happy, but now I'm fine filtering through all the mistakes that person makes. And now I'm avoiding it because I, I'm too scared that I get hurt. So I'm like stepping way back. We want to be secure. That means we have a balance. We have a balance of that. Is that me? Where we can question ourselves. Is that me that contributes to it? Or is that that person? And that takes time. That takes time. And I necessarily don't agree. Lots of people would say 50% of the population is secure attachment style. I would definitely challenge that. I would definitely challenge that. That is not true. That is not true. And so now, now we're talking. So secure is really being grounded, being aware, not, you know, also when we set boundaries, boundaries, for example, lots of people think boundaries are standards. Boundaries is an action step of a violation of a standard. What are you going to do if somebody cheats on you and you find out? Are you screaming at them, ripping their head off? Or are you going and said, look, I found that out. We need to talk. What is that? Is our relationship really in turmoil? Because people, and again, Esther Perel was talking about that. I like it, that she's actually using and looking at people who, who have affairs or cheat and say, looking at a different angle and perspective. Am I ripping somebody's head off, right? And say, you cheated, why did you cheat? But I maybe treated that person like didn't appreciate that person, treated that person bad, that this person still loves me somehow, but goes now outside of a relationship to get some confidence back, which is not great, to just stay in the relationship. How many people do that? Think about that. How many people have affairs, stay in a marriage, don't have the guts to leave or to talk about the problems they have maybe in a marriage, right? Or in a committed relationship. Now they go outside to get a little bit of a confidence booster, but they still stay in that marriage. So now I'm hurting two people or three, including me. How many people do that? I love the so fact that, that means- you said that because that's something that I wanted to return to. And Esther Perel is a bit in the medium in, in the middle there. But what I hear a lot from like relationship psychologists when it's like the guy cheated, it's like the guy gets beaten down. He's a sole perpetrator. Mm. He has mm. to repent and the distrust has to be built again. Which is one side of the story. But what if that guy bought sexy lingerie, wanted to do like dancing, wanted to do something intimate, you know, and he was mm. treated without respect. He felt totally like limp. No, mm. like erotica at all, you know, mm. when, he, when he wanted to have sex, you know, and make something intimate, cold shoulder from the woman, like, okay, that's also something that he wants. And okay, someday you feel a bit more attracted than the other days. But what if that guy for three years in a row, like try to put a flame into the marriage and the relationship and it didn't work? Do you find it weird that he suddenly gets attracted to the secretary or somebody that he meets? They finally sees him as a sexual object and he feels respected and confident again. Is there no role in that part in the whole conflict or not? Like, no, no, the guy is a pig, the guy is etc. Yeah, but what led the guy up towards doing this? A lot of guys don't do this mm. out of nowhere mm. with, because there's also a story on that side. But that, again, mm. that's all blamed on the guy. 
and not mm. about the side of the woman, you know? And mm. that's a bit of an issue. I think sometimes, and this is going to be controversial to say it, sometimes women have to be warmed up. I'm not talking about the rape or anything else, right? Yeah. But a guy also has his, a woman has his needs and a guy also has his needs. So sometimes mm. you just want to provide a space and you can set boundaries if you don't want to have it, but you can play a bit and then see if you're up for it or not. But it seems all the responsibility of keeping the flame in the relationship is basically on the guy's part. And the woman, whatever, she can be a best friend for three years without any intimacy and sex. And the guy shouldn't cheat at all. I don't know what your perspective is about Yeah, this, it's but. not good. If you have a sexless relationship, get out. It's not working. Period. It's a communication. If you go spiritual way, that's communication. You, It's non-verbal. Well, it depends on. It can be verbal too, right? <laughs> but it's like. It's 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 like a communication. It's a bonding thing. You create bonding. So if you reject your guy, men usually want they want to to make love to to their partner. That's how they show love too. So it's not just a physical act. That means so much more. And I think what we always say we say oh for men it's all physical. They don't um, attach emotions to it. That is bullshit. Excuse me. It is. It's not true. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of, I have a lot of male friends who will tell me exactly the opposite. And they are her too. But if you don't feel respected to the guy, at least from my perspective, it's not that you get a hard on and are so horny all the time, you know, like it's an aphrodisiac to be, you know, respected by your woman and, you know, be, be, be seen that way. That's a mm. big aphrodisiac. But if you're treated like, you know, castrated puppy, you know, like it's not like, oh, you know, you want to have sex each day. You also feel beaten down. It's also, I think women have problems in receiving. If you see it like that, we talked about that before. Isn't it? Mm. Women have problems in receiving. That means letting somebody in us. And that's not just, you know, physically, mm-hmm. it's also in here. Because all of a sudden I become vulnerable because I have to let go, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm letting go. I offer myself. So I'm letting myself go. So as I now start to take control, I don't let myself go. And that is a weird atmosphere then too. Plus, of course, don't keep in mind also um, sex or uh, foreplay doesn't start in the bedroom. It starts in everyday life. It doesn't start just you know, how we treat each other, you know, it's it's like how we run our relationships. That's foreplay. That's not just like touching each other's bodies parts and that's mm-hmm. it. That's the reason why people can fall in love with each other's minds. That's substance then. Now we are talking. Then it's not only physical. Sex is not only physical. Sex is in here a lot. It's a mind thing too. So it, it's really... It's it's yeah. We can talk probably forever about yeah, that. Yeah, another topic. another another controversial thing because I like to provoke thoughts is like, listen, this whole consent culture and asking approval and having a written slip to ha- go for a kiss and a written slip for uh, mm. uh, sex. This completely takes away the uh, adventure, the unexpectedness, the the novelty in the whole seduction process. You're gonna tell me you find it arousing when a guy sits beside you and says like, "Is it okay if I kiss you?" You're free to say no. How attractive is that? That's what a child not, does. Do you think, can yeah. you can you fill in this permission slip? Because it's the first time that I have sex with you and I don't want to be charged with rape. So could you sign this form before we take off our clothes? How the hell is this working with a social intimate uh, interaction? What women uh-huh. mostly like is a guy taking chances, afraid of losing his audience, being confident, and then surprising her by being this 
child who has to ask for permission, you you check in, right? If you can't, oh no, she mm-hmm. doesn't like it. You pull back. You feel shame as a normal guy. Mm-hmm. You don't push it, etc. But that is a bit of tension you play with, you know, with the whole seduction process. So this whole that consent is. thing, like I haven't given explicit consent. Like how can you, for these very intimate parts mm. on both sides, again, makes you feel seen as a man and also feel violent mm. as a woman. I know that there's like a spectrum there, but to police this, put this into rules, this is just not doable. And it sucks all the joy out of, you know, totally. the dance of attraction in seduction. Totally. Now you, you create a framework and paperwork around it. And that's not attractive. I absolutely agree. What I always say to my women who come to me, because they had that, a fellow asking them and say, can I actually kiss you? And they said, that was a total turn off. Okay, but don't. I said, listen, don't rip his head off. Understand that we are living in weird times mm-hmm. where these yeah. guys are actually now concerned if they do the wrong thing, take it. Why are you not taking it like, oh, somebody's really concerned, but they want to kiss me. So turn it around instead of laughing at him, mm-hmm. mocking him. Just understand that somebody who unfortunately got castrated by certain circumstances in this world who now makes men fearful even to approach us. That's the problem. So now we're talking. Now women need to, to make certain signals or give certain active signals which get us into the masculine energy to actually give you permission to approach me. So we are now dragged into the masculinity. So how can I do this in the most feminine way? Maybe I can spark just a... You know me, I'm a bubbly person. I have no problem to, to talk to people. You know, how can we do this without coming across also... Like we are now chasing. So how can you get the yeah, and that's it has a bodily totally aspect crazy. in seduction? You're not gonna do it all logically and ask, like, can I get permission? No. Because what happens then? And I was <laughs> there myself in my twenties. You ask yourself, I'm being the psychologist on the couch, I'm being a best friend. She's so intimate with me, but you know, there's nothing sexual between us. That's because mm. it's all in the head. It's nothing in the moment. Everything has to be checked by is that allowed or not? So you get into your head. That is not attractive at all. You kinda you know, take your chance to see the woman, see if she goes through her hair, looks looks in the triangle gaze between, you know, your your nose and your lips, you know, her eyes tingle a bit, you know. Th- th- then you kind of, you know, when, it, when you thought you could have kissed her, probably you, you already could have kissed her, you know, and then you just go for it and check it and create something. But that's what women like when a guy, you know, you dance with that tension that, that you have the, the communication you have but then you have the 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 implicit you know communication you have yes the undertone that tension and then you play with it but we don't teach guy how to do this like that's why you have masculinity coaches right now to teach them how is a way for a man to relate to a woman and what they like because we've been again brainwashed by the media to just be a nice guy just listen to her and then she will be attracted no you just become the best friend that drives her to all the parties, takes her out, but she will never sleep with you or look at you in a sexual way. Yeah, because you become the brother, isn't it? That's yeah. what you become. Or if it's even step up, you become dad. And yeah, the, th- <laughs> the thing is, I think also we've gone crazy about that, that you now book actually courses to rebut body language. Mm-hmm. Something what we did naturally now becomes yeah. so unnatural. Now you think about that. Now you learn about, are they raising their eyebrows? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Are their eyes dilating? Are the pupils dilating? Are they smiling at you? Are they looking at your mouth? 
are they actually listening to you? Are they maybe, if you have somebody nervous, they will be maybe not looking at you. That could be. So now you try to analyze. Think about that. Now you try to analyze that person. And now you question yourself if you're reading the body language, right? So we become maybe awkward, right? So why now the, the, the whole process of dating becomes actually really, really stiff. Yeah. Is that enjoyable? Instead of like, hey, why, like, also, why do we go actually, why do we go and sit for a meal? Imagine you go and talk to, meet somebody for the first time. You book a restaurant. First of all, you're nervous. When you're nervous, it's like anxiety. Mm -hmm. You don't want to eat. You might want to drink. And if you are unlucky and you haven't eaten because you're so nervous, you go there and you drink, you might, <laughs> you might then not behave mm -hmm. good either isn't it? Because it goes to your hand. So it's like the whole process becomes so unscientific. It's like, did they rise their eyebrows? And then you do this. And if you say this to her or him, then you maybe get him attracted. And then you become that robot. You become like an artificial intelligence to get somebody into your life. I think we become so estranged from natural we have mm. communication that you know, and same thing with guys like, should I send the message? Should I wait a message? What do you think of this message? Should I wait two days and all this tactical stuff? Well, in the end, and it's also a bit frustrating. Like, listen, I get if I get on an app or text, like, okay, you don't want to meet with anybody, but I just want to meet up mm. and see if we can act like how we used mm. to use phones just to call people like I'm getting late to see you there and then connect because it was really about connecting in real life. Now it's sometimes with all these tactics and getting you in your head, et cetera, you know, like I just think it it complicates just the natural way of getting together, getting along, spending time with each other. It's also, I think, with these increasing options. When when I was in my youth mm. club, yeah, I didn't have social media and all these things, but, you know, everybody was at one place. Everybody was there. Everybody knew each other. They got acquainted. They got familiar. Mm. You got to know people deeper and you had like deeper relationships. You also had less choice but you had more relatability with different people. Now you have so mm. much choices, event here, person here, that, yeah, you you kind of put the connection or relationship on hold or it's interchangeable when something else pops up, you know? And I also do this sometimes, maybe you do this sometimes, but you actually hate it when someone does it with us, you know? So it's mm. also a matter of putting out what we would love to get back. Mm. Of course. I mean, we need to invest in people. So what we often do is either we are impatient, everything has to be now, 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 and now we love bomb people, isn't it? We try everything. We try to cut it short. We, we try to rush through the whole dating process. And that's the beautiful process too. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Do I like this person? You know, meet this person in different kind of events. Go maybe to parties if that's you or go to a museum. Or I don't know where you're going, if what you have. I'm not like usually the restaurant girl sitting there and having food. And then like, it's quite, you know, go for a walk. Go and meet somebody. I don't know. An exhibition or something you like, maybe. Maybe you have that in common. So it's really, really interesting. I think one of are, the best ways, by the way, I think for anyone, mm -hmm. like I think, the best way to meet a partner is to go to something that you like and then meet people who are interested in the same thing because the chances that you're both interested into something and you have same mm. values is bigger than just playing the quantity game or online. I think going, to, if you're going to search your partner in a nightclub, but that's really not what you're looking for and want to <laughs> spend your weekend, what the hell are you hanging out and chatting with those guys who are always in the nightclub? 
you don't want to be in a nightclub, no. go to places, go to museums, go to something yes. else, you know, go yes. to some meetup yes. to connect with people who have a bit similar mindset. Love it. Uh, absolutely. That's what I always say. Do it. Join the groups. Go to a club. But people do also the mistake. They say, oh, I want to be with a buffed, fit guy. Now I'm entering the fitness studio. Now have a look. Oh, maybe hiking. You don't like hiking. You're actually not a hiker. Yeah. That's okay. Be tr truthful. If you don't like it, if you're more like, oh, I like museums. I like museums. Mm -hmm. You drag me in a museum. I grew up in Berlin. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love the atmosphere. I like exhibitions. G get me somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. Great. And then have grabs. I don't know, coffee or we can grab a coffee or a cocktail afterwards and talk about what we just experienced. Great. So you can talk about that. What do you do in a restaurant? What do you, first of all, you will be too nervous. I'm, I'm a bubbly person. I'm a relatively confident person, but still I would be nervous. So I don't want to chew in front of a person and eat. And then maybe that you have all this stuff going on. Maybe are you a vegan? Are you, do you have celiac? Are you eating this? Are you, it has become more complicated there too, right? Yeah. So absolutely do something where you can be yourself, where you really glow too. Go to an event where you really, really close. Yeah, you too. get a little bit of a glimpse of the person that's excited about something mm. and see the universe. And even if you maybe not like it, you see like, you know, the person being involved in something that they really like. And that's like very mm. contagious for me to actually see. From all your clients, maybe mostly female clients, what is some of the most repeating challenges they have, problems that they have, view towards current day relationships or, or many relationships that they have from your experience with working with clients? Mm -hmm. The main thing is I want to find somebody who makes me happy. And I'm like, great. So where are you in your relationship with yourself? So if we repeat toxic relationships, we have to have a look why we attract them. If I'm not like desperate out there and say, I need a partner now because I'm not complete without it. I'm unhappy. My life is totally like, a mess or I'm bored or anything like that. I have nothing meaningful in my life and I need a partner to give it meaning. That's the surefire way to get into very toxic relationships. And that's the main part we do. I want to find somebody who makes me happy. No, you don't. You don't have to find somebody. You have to find somebody who's a teammate in that way, who complements your life, but not somebody who makes you happy. It's not there. It's not their responsibility to make you happy. Of course, we should behave well in a relationship and we should nurture each other and things like that. And we should know that we have a certain responsibility and we rub off on our partner. But it's not our main thing to make them happy. And this is an approach people think, oh, they're needy. But that is often also very borderline to a narcissistic trait. So now we, we blame everybody and has become a fashion anyway, fashion statement. I was with a narcissist. They didn't give me what I needed. It's like, hold on a moment. Maybe you're a little bit narcissistic too. It's a narcissistic trait to want that somebody comes, makes us happy. Great narcissists give great first dates, by the way. Proper narcissists give great first dates. They really pull out all the stops to make it really great and a great impression to get in first. Because they invest very much at the beginning. That's love bombing, by the way. Boom, boom, boom. You are the one. I never felt like this within like a short period of time. And 
because we want them to make us happy and we relate happiness with that. I can't come with my broken self to you and say, hey, Phil, you date now. You have to make me happy. Now fill my gap. Tell me I'm brilliant. I'm beautiful. I'm the best thing you ever met in your life. It's like, why would I do want that? Why do I want that? And that's the main problem we have. We try to find somebody who makes us happy. I think I have allergic reaction to that kind of statement because not allergic, but I would say, let's dive deep. What's going on in your life? Yeah, we lose ourselves in the relationship mm. sometimes that afterwards, like I lost myself. I gave up things that I actually valued because, you mm. know, they think maybe the partner expected it or that it would make mm. them more happy. But when you lose yourself, you know, when you end, you don't have a, a you know, complete self anymore because we're so attached to the other person that, you know, you lost, you, you totally like give up your identity. Something mm. that I also notice, I don't know if this is in female communications, but when we talk about issues in relationship with men, we often talk about, you should do this, Bob, it's a responsibility, try this. We talk solutions, yeah? yeah. But sometimes when women talk on each other, like, yeah, he's an asshole and he's, it's like they're cheating for her, like that she's not wrong. But both of them are maybe a bit wrong, you know? Like the mm. guys would also look at the women, what their, their responsibility is. But sometimes mm. I see women talking about their relationship and I'm thinking like, there's also something you could do. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it has gone bananas, isn't it? It has gone literally crazy. I'm also not a big fan when people say, for example, that I have to work on myself completely until I'm becoming a really perfect partner. How do you know that you're a perfect partner? Well, one thing that I want to give some counterpoints towards, like, well, the first thing that I would say to the person is, I want my partner to make me happy. I would say like, okay, but what makes you happy? Because your strategy mm. is to get it from this person. Maybe you can take a look at other ways how you can be happy because a happy partner is just attractive, you know, normally sometimes you're attracted to wounds from the past, which is very painful. That, mm. That's what's familiar instead of what's good for you. But isn't that also something that is okay with a partner contributing to your life and partly making you happy? Because we also have this image sometimes in self-development of like, we can all give it to ourselves. We, we just have our own cup full and be complete ourselves. But sometimes I think like, yeah, there actually is not something wrong with also getting some value socially or from people. So it's 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 a middle spectrum without thinking like, yeah. oh, I have problems sometimes with the quote like, yeah, you should be happy completely yourself and you can give everything you need yourself. I think there's some aspects that we can get from other people and there's nothing wrong with it. To completely yeah. be identified with and consumed with it, I think that's toxic. So that's a bit my stance towards Yeah, Absolutely. So you, you always have to balance that out. So you go from one end of the scale. So clients who mainly come to me because they attract toxic relationships is because the whole happiness has to be created by the partner. So I make you now the center of my whole world. And you have the power to actually really, with my, really damage my self-image. So my self-image is like completely in your hand. I don't like saying happy. It's like you contribute to my life of course you your actions your actions have an effect on you right have an effect on me if you are moody of course i'm worried i would check in with myself and i said okay does he need space let's talk but i'm a direct person i would say do you need space i notice you are like this i'm like at the moment thinking about is it me is it you what's going on right we don't have these conversations either. So we are now saying you have to mind read and have to, to make sure that I'm happy. And relationships, like I said at the beginning, of course, too, we, the, I think the man should leave in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Totally get that. And you, you contribute to my happiness. 
definitely, but you are not my ha complete happiness. What if you are gone? What if you decide to leave me? And I would, I would be a person who would say, okay, if somebody doesn't want to stay, if we can't fix it, I would check in and say, can we fix it? If you say, no, I'm, I need to leave. I have to love you so much to let you go and not cling on you and not convince you and sell myself that you have to stay. That's also, you know what I mean? So my happiness, of course, you contribute to it. I contribute then also to happiness of, of my partner. It's a balancing act. We have to be very careful what wording we are using probably too. It's like, I want to have somebody who makes me happy. So but what does that mean? What does that even mean? What mostly it's like, they have to behave, they have to provide, there has to be all these perfect things, but I'm not setting any standards and any boundaries and I'm not communicating. And you have to mind read now. You have to become a great mind reader to really know that because we have that romantic idea. The one knows exactly what I need. And I call them the ready-made ping mere microwavable relationships. It's like instantly there and they taste brilliant. But if you want to have yeah, something, if you really, really cared about me, you should mind yeah. me. Then know exactly what I want. Yeah. Like I'm like, if 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 this is a relationship and a communication style where I will always don't know a part of you, and you will always be like a mystery to me, that makes it a bit hard to get. But you would communicate from me to me, especially from the female perspective, what you want and what you need. It would also help me anticipate what you want because you're not just like a baby, and mommy has to just give you the breasts <laughs> and give you all you need because you can't talk. No, you're like you're, you're in a Adult, and when you when you tell me what you need, I can also anticipate it better and understand yes. you better. And that's not a lack of love. That's just you know that's just a lack of understanding, and it's a part of love to try to understand each other better. So yeah, boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. Boundaries are attractive. We think boundaries are like it's a communication. It's like do I scream at you and say how dare you do this to me? Like you said that you should know me better by now. Mm -hmm. If you would be the one now, I'm castrating you verbally, literally. I start to castrate you, make you feel bad. Instead of saying, hey, do you know what? It feels a bit odd to me. Can we talk about that quickly? And be charming and be kind and understanding and explore it with your partner and all oh, love and trust or whatever relationship you have explore that and not saying hey assuming now that they do it because they want to harm you or they are selfish or anything like that sometimes we don't know so we don't even know how to communicate boundaries we think boundaries is unnecessary if it's the one if it's true love we don't have to set boundaries uh, we are unattractive we are complicated when we set boundaries we don't know how to do it so we don't do it and that's unattractive person who knows what they want and are charming and kind and giving and reflecting what they want is a charismatic person. It's a charismatic person. You are there. That's it. This is the person who enters the room and think, I want to know this person. I want to know this person. And a good listener, obviously. Listening is everything. For anybody who wants to listen to you and check you out and your teachings and Strong Heart Awakening, where can they find more about what you do around relationships? Right, of course, strongheartawakening.com. I will change at the moment my website too. I'm blogging there mainly. And of course, I have a group. It's a Strong Heart Awakening group. It's called Strong Heart Awakening Transform Your Relationships. I run there actually regularly like a foundation workshop about high caliber relationships, how to attract them, what you need to know about them. It's do, I do this several times a year for free in there. And to just give them the foundation understanding how I work 
and you can connect with me via via Facebook. For anybody who's ending a toxic relationships, looking for a new relationships, and they want to learn how to set those boundaries or learn how to set themselves up for a more thriving relationships, what are some aspects, some questions, some things that you would suggest them to turn towards or focus on? First of all, know what you want. What do you want? What relationship do you want? What is it? Really write it down because people don't, they think they know it. What are your standards? Are you reflecting the standards? And how do they show in a partner? And then how do you protect those standards? Because if I put standards down and say, I want a, a loving and caring relationship, somebody who's fit, somebody who is financially safe and things like that, are you these things too? If not, you better work on them. Because if you are only putting these standards down, they become a wish list, isn't it? Like, oh, I wish I will have that. You need to work towards that. So it's really understanding. And also your toxic relationship, if something ends, or if something is toxic, something is off, have a look at your standards. How do you protect them? What do you do now? Are you willing to talk about that and take actions? Because boundaries are action steps. And that's how it works. Thanks so much for helping people build relationships. It's also why you're such a great uh, networker, you know, to build relationships yourself <laughs> and between other people. Wish you all the best and all the best with Strong Heart Awakening and the impact you're making. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.